James, <laughs> I accept the deputization of being a modern fi day firefighter and saving the information that's being burned. My God. Thank you, brother. Uh, how did you put all this together? This was incredible. I mean, we're all, we're all like all wakened up now. I mean, I'm ready to go fight some fires. Yeah, I hope we all are, um, because I hope you understand how serious this is. And this is something that I've been thinking about basically since the start of the website, that what I am doing is absolutely unthinkable in any other era of humanity. There may have been an example 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, where maybe I had been, I would have been interested in the that Warren Commission report about the JFK assassination, but maybe I would have gone to a library and looked at a couple of books and Oh, there's a lot of information I don't really know. But here we are where anyone, even an English teacher in Japan, can find access and coordinate, uh, organize, and then present this information to other people in this flowering of human knowledge. It's an incredible time that is enabled by these incredible technologies. So I understand at a personal level, I understand the stakes of what's involved here. And to see this library on fire, to me, really is alarming. It is the type of thing people should really be screaming from the rafters about. And unfortunately, I, know, I noticed that uh, a lot of the public doesn't, isn't even aware of these issues. No, no, but we're going to try to get uh, this message out everywhere. And, and I have a feeling it'll go viral too. You mentioned uh, Dan Dix and his important work at Press for Truth, completely deplatformed 35 million views of hard work uh, and, and issues that he's covered. Well, we've got those DVDs right here, Decade of Deception, uh, the work of Dan uh, Dix and Press for Truth uh, encapsulating the uh, uh, Toronto hearings in a DVD set. I've got two of them. If anybody wants them for free, we're going to give them away too. So just uh, email me decade uh, and uh, give me your address. Email me at contact us at ae911truth.org. In fact, James, you know the work of Massimo Mizuko. <laughs> He has put together five DVDs. Why don't we give those away too? Um, incredible uh, work. He's taken on the debunkers step by step. People say, well, what do you say when they say this? It's all right here, folks. Um, so uh, we'll call that uh, new, we'll call that uh, Massimo. Email me, Massimo. I'll, the first two people who email me a request for that, get that for free too. Isn't this fun giving stuff away? It is. But I also hope, I mean, I, yeah, the, but I hope people understand the importance also of physical media. I think that goes, speaks to what I'm talking about, the way the technology is going to be more and more so that we're just accessing things that are stored on someone else's computer. Physical media becomes more and more important. Physical books. Imagine that. How are they going to spend through those? Uh, it's a story I often go back to several years ago. One of the first books that was disappeared from the Kindle store was 1984 of all books because someone had put out an edition that wasn't officially authorized or whatever. So uh, what Kindle did is they went in and they disappeared it from everyone's Kindle and gave them a refund for their purchase. So literally 1984 was memory hold on a lot of people's devices. That should be a bit of a wake up call for people about what is possible in this digital age. Powerful. And, and I've got a lot of questions uh, from our viewers for you. Uh, but um I've, I've first uh, got a surprise for you uh, and our viewers. Uh, stand by and tell me what you think.
Five minutes. On the morning of September 11, 2001, 19 men armed with box cutters directed by a man on dialysis in a cave fortress halfway around the world using a satellite phone and a laptop directed the most sophisticated penetration of the most heavily defended airspace in the world. Overpowering the passengers and the military combat trained pilots on four commercial aircraft before flying those planes wildly off course for over an hour without being molested by a single fighter interceptor. These 19 hijackers, devout religious fundamentalists who like to drink alcohol, snort cocaine, and live with pink-haired strippers, managed to knock down three buildings with two planes in New York. While in Washington, a pilot who couldn't handle a single-engine Cessna was able to fly a 757 in an 8,000-foot descending 270-degree corkscrew turn to come exactly level with the ground, hitting the Pentagon in the budget analyst office where DOD staffers were working on the mystery of the $2.3 trillion that Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld had announced missing from the Pentagon's coffers in a press conference the day before, on September 10th. 2001. Luckily, the news anchors knew who did it within minutes. Osama bin Laden. The pundits knew within hours. Osama bin Laden. The administration knew within the day. Terrorists who committed these acts and those who harbor them. And the evidence literally fell into the FBI's lap. That a hijacker's passport was found blocks from the World Trade Center crash site, if you can believe that. But for some reason, a bunch of crazy conspiracy theorists demanded an investigation into the greatest attack on American soil in history. That investigation was delayed, underfunded, set up to fail, a conflict of interest, and a cover-up from start to finish. It was based on testimony extracted through torture, the records of which were destroyed. It failed to mention the existence of WTC-7, Able Danger, P-Tech, Sibel Edmonds, OBL and the CIA, and the drills of hijacked aircraft being flown into buildings that were being simulated at the precise same time that those events were actually happening. It was lied to by the Pentagon, the CIA, the Bush administration, and as for Bush and Cheney, well, no one knows what they told it because they testified in secret, off the record, not under oath, and behind closed doors. It didn't bother to look at who funded the attacks because that question is ultimately of little practical significance. Still, the 9-11 Commission did brilliantly answering all of the questions the public had, except most of the victim's family members' questions, and pinned blame on all the people responsible, although no one so much as lost their job, determining the attacks were Failure of imagination Because Nobody in our government, at least, and I don't think the prior government could envision flying airplanes in the buildings. Except the Pentagon, FEMA, NORAD, and the NRO. <laughs> the DIA destroyed 2.5 terabytes of data on able danger, but that's okay because it probably wasn't important. The SEC destroyed their records on the investigation into the insider trading before the attacks, but that's okay because destroying the records of the largest investigation in SEC history is just part of routine record keeping. NIST has classified the data that they used for their model of WTC-7's collapse, but that's okay because knowing how they made their model of the collapse would jeopardize public safety. The FBI has argued that all material related to their investigation of 9-11 should be kept secret from the public, but that's okay because the FBI probably has nothing to hide. This man never existed, nor is anything he had to say worthy of your attention, and if you say otherwise, you are a paranoid conspiracy theorist and deserve to be shunned by all of humanity. Likewise him, 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 and her and her and her and him. Osama bin Laden lived in a cave fortress in the hills of Afghanistan, but somehow got away. Then he was hiding out in Tora Bora, but somehow got away. 
Then he lived in Abbottabad for years, taunting the most comprehensive intelligence dragnet employing the most sophisticated technology in the history of the world for a decade, releasing video after video with complete impunity and getting younger and younger as he did so, <laughs> before finally being found in a daring SEAL team raid which wasn't recorded on video, in which he didn't resist or use his wife as a human shield, and in which these crack special forces operatives panicked and killed this unarmed man, supposedly the best source of intelligence about those dastardly terrorists on the entire planet. Then they dumped his body in the ocean before telling anyone about it. Then a couple dozen of that team's members died in a helicopter crash in Afghanistan. This is the story of 9-11, brought to you by the media which told you the hard truths about His head could be seen to move violently forward. And They took the babies out of the incubators. And Mobile production facilities. And The rescue of Jessica Lynch. If you have any questions about this story, you are a batshit, paranoid, tinfoil, dog-abusing baby hater, and will be reviled by everyone. If you love your country and or freedom, happiness, rainbows, rock and roll, puppy dogs, apple pie, and your grandma, you will never ever express doubts about any part of this story to anyone. Ever. This has been a public service announcement by the friends of the FBI, CIA, NSA, DIA, SEC, MSM, White House, NIST, and the 9-11 Commission. Because ignorance is strength. There we go, James. <laughs> That was a classic. Three million views, and in, by God, it's still on YouTube. How, how did you come up with that? The, yeah, it still is funny to me because uh, that was literally an inside joke that I was making for the 9-11 Truth Movement that I thought would have been appreciated probably by, uh, you know, 10, 20, 30,000 people maybe would even understand that, let alone find it funny in that way yeah. that it's funny. Uh, I was quite surprised when it went viral. And uh, as you say, 3 million views on my channel, it's got millions of views collectively on Facebook and elsewhere. Uh, even some of my friends in real life who kind of vaguely know, oh, I do that kind of conspiracy stuff, have seen that video. They're like, oh, I saw, I, I, was that you? I heard that voice on that video. Yes, that was me. Uh, so yes, it got out there in, a, in an interesting way, which is perhaps one way uh, that people who are interested in this information can can make it interesting for others uh, is to, I think part of the, the, what makes that video interesting is that there are clearly very specific details in there, but I don't elaborate them or go over them. I just leave them out there for people to look into. People who are interested, there is a hyperlinked transcript of that video where I link to everything, where I say, yeah, these hijackers were drinking alcohol and snorting cocaine and living with pink haired strippers. I link to the actual information that that comes from so that people can find out more about it. Um, but at any rate, I think it's certainly succeeded in getting people's attention over the years. Yeah. And the humor is, is what uh, breaks right through our own resistance. So you're getting truth couched in humor. And I just have to bring that out to kind of lighten my load every once in a while. And, and people just love it. They rave about it. So thank you on behalf of the 9-11 Truth Movement for bringing that little piece of that gem uh, to us. And of course, the big gems that you've brought out. We mentioned earlier, 9-11 trillions, follow the money. I'd play that for everybody today too. But uh, we've got enough time to answer some questions, I'm hoping, James. Uh, but uh, then we're going to have to uh, uh, go to our, um, our next surprise guest, uh, and then we'll be We'll be uh, saying goodbye for the day, but let's go through these here. Uh, how much can analytics like video views and page visits be trusted anymore for self-assessment since we know they're censoring, shadow banning, and phasing out controversial information? 
Yeah, that's an excellent question. And the answer is uh, trust them as far as you can throw them. Um, I don't even trust the statistics that come from my own server because it always depends on such things as, well, what counts as a download anyway? If you download, if you if someone listens to three seconds of a podcast, does that count as a download? And did they really listen to it? I mean, again, it gets into some philosophical issues like that. But even beyond that, even if we were to entrust that they really do have some metric that actually makes sense, still, uh, I think there is a vested interest in making sure that this information is suppressed. And part of that, just like shadow banning, is convincing people that their information isn't going anywhere and it isn't reaching anyone. It's not popular. Uh, if you make this silly fart video, you'll get a million views. But if you make an important video about 9-11, you'll get no views. So I don't trust, I don't trust it at all. Uh, zero. Luckily, I've never been motivated by views to the extent that's possible as a human being. I mean, I want this information to get out there. I, you know, of course I have an ego. I like to think it's popular, but I, that isn't what motivates me to do what I'm doing. I do this because I want to share this information and get it out, but I'm not, I'm not looking at the numbers because I do realize that is a game of sorts and they want you to be chasing the numbers and thinking of it in those terms. My recommendation to people out there who are putting information like this out there, do not look at the numbers it's a video game that they want you to play that views and things like this are points. Likes are points in this system and they can gamify that and they can lie to you. Of course they can lie to you. And uh, I, I, personally, I think it's interesting that say uh, my subscriber view count was stuck at 346,000 subscribers for a year, a year and a half. Uh, you, you can look at my metrics. It's constantly going up of new subscribers, new subscribers. And then it just suddenly plateaus and not a single new subscriber for a year. Uh, that seems unlikely to me, YouTube. I don't know. Again, I don't trust these numbers as far as I can throw them. I don't think anyone else should. And don't don't judge your worth based on that. Um, at the end of the day, the only metric that I care about for measuring my success is whether I feel I have done a good enough job. I'll never be perfect. I can't do I can't do everything. But I, if I can set out to do what I want to do, conveying this particular information on this theme, then I have succeeded. That needs to be your motivation. Otherwise, you start chasing the numbers. And the, as I say, those are inflated, manipulated, and gamed. James, this is unjust. Pe people want to know what can be done to to fight this injustice from this behemoth, uh, which is a utility, really, or, or it should be, rather than a private corporation with censorship power over 300 million citizens in this country alone? Yes, uh, I, I very much understand the sentiment because Facebook, YouTube, these are the public square these days. And just as in the public square, no one should come along to censor what you're going to say. No one should come along to censor what you're going to say on Facebook and YouTube. But it is a false analogy based on false principles and false precepts that will lead people in the wrong direction. I've talked about this quite specifically in a podcast that I did on Problem Reaction Solution Internet Censorship Edition. But long story short, I think that the push to try to get Facebook and YouTube regulated as utilities so that the government can step in and say what can and cannot be said on these platforms and who gets to have a platform here and who doesn't is totally the wrong direction. And it boggles my mind that people who understand that the perpetrators, the real perpetrators of 
including people who were in the government at that time and including some people who are still covering up for the government at this point would be in charge of this system of deciding who gets to be on this platform and who isn't. But don't worry, they'll be they'll play by the rules and they'll make sure that all 9-11 truth information is treated completely rationally. No, it's nonsense. That is not the solution. The problem with that argument comes in saying that Facebook or YouTube or Twitter or any of these particular platforms are the public square. They are not. They only have an audience. They only have impact because we give them that energy. We give them our time and our attention. We go there and we put ourselves into those platforms and they get the energy from that to become these behemoths. We can withdraw that at any time. We can stop feeding that social media beast. We can support, as I say, the alternatives that we don't have to imagine them. They already exist. There are many different alternative platforms and people will whine and complain, oh, but there aren't as many people over there. Well, that will never change unless we change it. And as I say, a decade ago, if people were going to regulate the internet and say that this is a public square and it must must be enshrined in law, we should add an amendment to the constitution to make it part of the, the government, people would have been arguing that for MySpace. These days, what is MySpace? It, it doesn't even matter. It's irrelevant because people left it because it was a platform that was going nowhere. People abandoned it for other places. We can continue to do that. That is our power. Our power is not entrusting that the government is going to give this platform to people who are arguing against the government. Every time throughout history, dictators want to take over, they scrub the information they don't like, usually by starting a bonfire. Well, are we going to entrust the government in this day and age to fairly regulate these types of things as some sort of public utility? I think not. Well, what are the top uh, alternatives that you're aware of, James? Uh, one viewer wants to know. It's, it's I, I don't want to promote as, as top alternatives. I don't want to say that because there, I mean, these things are transient and that's also part of the thing. I don't want to give all of my energy to one platform because if, in, inevitably it can go the same way. It can become censorship. I think we have to take more of the control in our own hands. That's why things like the Fediverse are most interesting to me. The idea that we essentially will have peer-to-peer -peer networks that we choose to connect to. And ultimately, we will have control over the information uh, that we're putting out there, but we'll, we'll, we'll uh, choose to put it on this platform or that platform or to allow people to access it in this way. And it will be completely peer-to-peer. -peer. There will be no platform that we all have to go to and sign up and give them our details and phone number and everything else. It will be completely within our control. And that's that's the future, the real future of the internet. That's the real promise of the internet as a decentralized network. We're in the wrong frame, frame of mind when we're thinking that we have to give all of our information to one centralized location in order for it to propagate to others. That's not what the internet is for. It is for peer-to-peer -peer connections. So that's the ultimate game plan. But as I say, personally, I am currently uh, backing up all my work to archive.org, bitshoot.com, lbry.com, and minds.com as well as YouTube. Look, as I say, I think there is still value, some value to be gained in being on some of these controlled platforms because I guarantee you, I, I could not at this point reach a million people with a video on any other platform. It's just the nature of the beast as it exists. The only way you can reach a mass audience at this point is on these controlled platforms. But here's the thing, a lot of people are in the black and white thinking. Either you're on YouTube or you're on BitChute or you're on Lines or whatever. No, no, no. You can be on all of them. 
there's this is the beauty of this particular form of the library. Uh, in back in the day, in in the, in the ancient time, there was only the one copy, and if you wanted to make a copy of that, you had to write it out by hands, and that that took a long time, and it was not easy to do. Now it is instantaneous; it is digital. We can make a billion copies and put them everywhere and stiff, stick them into every metaphorical mummy, so that they will be preserved for the future. And that's what we need to be doing. Uh, that's the funny thing about reading Fahrenheit four five one in today's climate, because. Bradbury could imagine this future in which there's all this technology and the, you know, the TV is the wall and it encompasses everyone and there's all these future technologies, but he couldn't imagine digital books. It's still, the books in that time were physical books that could be burned. And I thought that was interesting reading it from today's perspective. No, no, the beauty of the current library is that it can be replicated anywhere, everywhere, instantaneously, a billion copies in a, in a, in a heartbeat. And that's what we need to be doing. Uh, excellent. And then uh, the next question, uh, one search engine I know of uh, where it's easier to still find older information on 9-11 and other things, info that's been scrubbed by Google, is dogpile.com. Do you know of other such uh, of other search engines that don't seem to be as censored? Yes, or at least I used to. Uh, once again, I would recommend using a lot of different search engines and comparing results. That's the best way, uh, ultimately, because no one search engine that I found is the, the be-all and end-all. And sadly, Google is still a good search engine sometimes. Uh, there are times when I will search for specific pieces of text in quotation marks with Boolean operators, so I know that I'm looking for this particular section of text, and I can't find it on certain other ser search engines. I will find it on Google. So there are yeah. times when it's still, I mean, there's a reason why it became Google. is because it was so useful at one point before the, uh, the, the thumb was put on the scale. So I would say use a lot of different search engines. I used to use startpage.com, but uh, they have become... I think compromised. They used to be about a very, very good Google alternative. I don't think they are anymore. I still use DuckDuckGo, but I see that they are becoming less and less useful. Um, surprisingly, Bing.com can be a good search engine sometimes, but of course, Microsoft, Bill Gates, it is a controlled platform as well. So I've heard of Dogpile, uh, SeerX. There's a number of different ones out there. I had a video specifically on this that people can search for in my archives about search alternatives where people listed a number of different examples. Um, but as I say, I don't think there's one silver bullet here. I think using a lot of different search engines and comparing results uh, is the best way to get results for, at least for important searches. Mm. Now, uh, do you think Facebook is so controlling of information? This viewer says, asks, uh, do you think a, a mass migration, or excuse me, since Facebook is so controlling of information, do you think a mass migration of people off of it or a mass canceling of accounts would make a difference in fighting censorship? Uh, I think it's the only thing that will s solve that particular problem anyway. Obviously, it won't solve the greater problem of censorship. But at any rate, if we are concerned about the way Facebook is handling information, then yes, why would you continue to give Facebook your information? And as I say, it, it, to the extent that it's still valuable for reaching out to others, then perhaps you, people might make that calculus and continue to use Facebook while they use other platforms. But at some point, you got to pull the plug. And uh, I, the, I, I'm not on Facebook, so I don't deal with that. I got off of Twitter a couple of years ago, so I don't deal with that. The only one of these control platforms I continue to use is YouTube. And at this point, I'm almost, 
I'm almost just curious of when they're going to pull the plug on my channel. I'm sure it is going to happen, but how long and you know, in what context? That will be interesting to see. So I am still there. I'm still reaching out to people that way. Um, but at some point, I might make that decision to pull the plug myself. And until enough people actually, if not pull the plug, at least start to replicate on other platforms, until we do that, then how on earth can we sit there and just complain about what Facebook is doing? It is their platform. They will use it in whatever way they want. And just uh, entrusting the government to look after it, to me, seems like, uh, well, the definition of insanity, trying the same thing, but expecting different results. Uh, yeah. There's a, a lot of push for online schools now. I think it's related to your talk because it seems like a trend towards standardizing information given in schools and controlling what is put in the students' heads even more, like they're doing with the internet. What are your thoughts about that, this viewer? Right, yeah, actually that's interesting because it can go either way. Uh, yes, of course, we could think of the old model that we've been, uh, that we, I'm sure, all grew up under of the public school system. And here is, here is the curriculum that everyone will learn, and this is the standardized testing that comes along. So we can replicate that via the internet so that all the children are in their little COVID bubbles at home doing their learning online uh, through the standard curriculum that everyone else is learning and doing the standardized tests that everyone's doing. Or we could try, imagine this, homeschooling or even unschooling or other ways of imagining education taking place. Uh, it is not exactly a, a novel observation, but I think it's one that's worth making nonetheless, that the education system has for a very long time been the miseducation system in a lot of key respects. And obviously anyone who's interested in 9-11 will know that to the extent that 9-11 makes it into the history books that children are learning from these days, it will be a, a few a paragraph or two about Al-Qaeda and the 19 hijackers. So we know that the education system as it exists, the public government schooling system is there to control uh, and cr create a certain narrative. Can it be possible that there are other ways of learning? Well, not only is it possible, it's already happening. There are a lot of people who do homeschool school and use different curricula uh, to teach, teach their children. There are even people who unschool and allow their children to use their natural innate human curiosity to drive their learning. Um, imagine that. But even for people who can't imagine that, yes, homeschooling is already taking place and is taking off during this particular era that we're living through. I noted with some amusement, there was a editorial, I can't remember where it was, the New York Review of Books or something like that, that was decrying, oh no, the, uh, closing the schools will be horrible because all these parents will start homeschooling their children and we can't allow that, uh, which created some, uh, some controversy. There was some debates and things that happened as a result of that. But I think that is important. The idea of actually utilizing this remarkable tool that we have to essentially access the some knowledge of human understanding at a moment's notice, at our fingertips, that is an incredible potential that we've only begun to tap into. And imagine if we really tap into it in a serious way without the limitations of everyone must read this text and everyone must learn this and everyone must do these standardized tests. This is a potential for exploding that system and really starting a flowering of human knowledge and understanding. Uh, but of course it could go the exact opposite way and <laughs> even more thoroughly standardize uh, people who are already caught in that mindset that everything has to come through one centralized system. Yeah, that's really scary. And you don't have the crystal ball, huh, to tell us which way it's going to go? 
Uh, not only do I not have the crystal ball, it isn't up to, I mean, it isn't fate. It isn't sealed in the stars. It is up to us. It is the decisions that we make now about what we do that will determine that. So I can't tell you what everyone out there is going to do. Um, all I can do is say, this is what's happening. And you, you can use this, uh, to, to try something different. Um, the only question is, are you going to? Mm. You think there ever be a time when there are few paper books? And most books are on Kindle, meaning they can burn them at any time with a push of a button. I, yeah, I sincerely hope not for obvious reasons. As I say, physical media, I, th I hope people are starting to understand how valuable physical media is. Of course, there is convenience in the digital equivalent of uh, media. And uh, obviously, uh, it's going to be the future and a lot of people are going to use it. But I certainly hope there is not a time when books are abandoned. That would be, uh, I mean, that would be the dictator's dream. Um, because of course the other, I mean, I talked about Fahrenheit 451, but the other paradigmatic example in, uh, modern science fiction would be 1984, where of course the ministry of truth controls information by selectively editing texts or memory holding them all together. And, uh, even to the point of, uh, retroactively changing newspapers. Oh, that newspaper story you read a few years ago about this or that uh, goal of the, the the Ministry of Education or whatever. Well, actually, we'll change that. So now it says this. So now it conforms with reality as it exists. Now, that sounded like science fiction dystopia, like crazy speculative stuff 50, 60 years ago. Actually, it just sounds chillingly uh, like it could actually happen in this increasingly digital age. So we need to preserve books and physical printed media. Yeah. Didn't YouTube actually already come out and say, uh, we're, we're, we're going to, what's the word they use, James? We're going to suppress uh, uh, conspiracy theories like 9-11. And um, of course they're, they're suppressing the current 9-11 right now, but what, what did they actually say? And, and, ha and have they begun to do that more so since they said it? Uh, yes. Uh, once again, I will direct people. I, I referenced it in my talk. There was a 25th of January 2019 blog post um, by YouTube called Continuing Our Work to Improve Recommendations on YouTube, the typically Orwellian uh, headline there, which um, went into to detail about how they were going to start uh, tailoring their suggestions for borderline content, what they call content that doesn't actually violate their community guidelines, but that they don't like anyway. And uh, so uh, they said, as I, as I said in the talk, they said, quote, we'll begin reducing recommendations of borderline content and content that could misinform users in harmful ways, such as videos promoting a phony miracle cure for a serious illness, claiming the earth is flat, or making blatantly false claims about historic events like 9-11. So, of course, 9-11, Flat Earth, whatever, all that, you know, all that crazy conspiracy stuff. We'll just start memory holding that. Um, not memory holding. As I say, it's not, they're not burning the book. The book is still there. It's just it's not going to be recommended to you. You'll never see it. And maybe that doesn't affect so much someone like yourself or myself or people who are watching this who are already aware of this information. But I know if the me of 14 years ago had never been recommended those YouTube sidebar recommendations to those crazy 9-11 videos. Would I be sitting here right now today doing this? It's a very good question. Maybe I would, maybe I would have found a different path to that information. Maybe not. Mm -hmm. So that 
truly can influence the course of people's lives. So I look at my children growing up in this age and I wonder what kind of world they're stepping into based on the, the types of algorithm and recommendation and search manipulation that's going on right now. That will vastly impact their lives. And that's what I'm most concerned about. Well, that will be a better world for them now. Thanks to you, James. Uh, you have done your job, man. We pat yourself on the back and we'll pat you on the bat and back and keep on with it. Uh, you're doing the, the yeoman's work for, again, not just the 9-11 truth movement, but all movements out there uh, trying to get truth out to the people. You have uh, done the work. And um, I tell everybody where they can learn more, too, before we let you go. Well, I do appreciate those words, but unfortunately, the work isn't done. And so that's why I'm deputizing all the firefighters out oh. there right now. Let's all get to work. Um, but people who are interested in my information, the information I've put together over the years, CorbettReport.com, C-O-R-B-E-T-T Report.com. Uh, all the information, 13 years worth of podcasts and videos and interviews are up there, thousands and thousands of hours, completely free for download. It is a resource. As I say, I try to hyperlink everything that I cite in all of my podcasts and videos. But as I say, a lot of those links are starting to disappear as they get older and older. So it is incumbent on all of us to save those links as we come across them. And uh, physical media, to the extent that we can do that, is, a, is another great way. Oh, awesome. Thank you again, James. Your uh, brilliant work. And uh, we'll, we'll be following you all along the way. Thank Take you. Care.